hope that you had time to read through it this week. Um, if not, I'll, I'll recap it, but we don't have time obviously to read three chapters. But last time we saw, remember that these, uh, well, I'll get to it in the book again. The last section of Judges shows really the heart of Israel, shows the spiritual condition of Israel. That it's full of idolatry, and of course, when you are uh, full of idolatry, when uh, you worship primarily yourself in one any any god you choose, other than the true god is you've chosen a god like to you yourself in some way, which means you will therefore break God's laws because you have become a law to yourself. And so, it is composed of two accounts that is of the last section of Judges, along with Ruth, make up what some called the Bethlehem Trilogy. From this cesspool that we're going to see, especially today, God was going to raise up a true judge, a good king, that would be able to do what man cannot. So in one sense, judge, judges is like the whole Old Testament. It shows the need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. So, God, and start of the sentence so it's capital, but Involved be God, and that can be stolen and cannot take care of you, either you nor themselves. Obviously, are no God. That's what we saw last week with the idolatry and Jonathan, Levi, his household God that was stolen out of his house. So it just shows that it's often in those Bibles, irony shows the silliness of what God does in the Lord. So last week we saw the religious decay of Israel as they were turning away from God to idols. Remember that, that these two accounts are early on in judgment. It's not something that we to and showing us why we've read all the things that we've seen in judgment. Interestingly, the Danites were central to the account last week. The whole tribe, if you remember, had been unable to defeat their enemies. And so we're looking elsewhere. They find a tribe that is weak and kind of innocent, and they overcome them. And it, it, well, someone compared them with another Danite, Samson, that we just got through studying. And one man with the Holy Ghost was able to defeat armies, whereas the whole tribe of Dan, in their, their idolatry, was uh, unable to uh, defeat the same enemies. And that's why they were looking elsewhere. So, one of those things that the Bible so chapter 19 records an event that provoked a civil war in Israel. The account of that war follows in chapter 20. And then the consequences of that war unfold in chapter 21. <clears throat> so the section, this section of the book is the commandic and supreme demonstration of what some have termed the canonization, the canonization of Israel. That is, Israel has become just the same as the people that they have displaced, the Canaanites. They are, they have become the Canaanites in every way. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. <coughs> So, uh, today we look at the result of rejecting God, which we saw last week, which of course is moral decay, which will be demonstrated to us this week over and over again. In this case, it seems the whole nation, uh, 
has followed it today, which is demonstrated it would seem that Romans 1 would be maybe a New Testament counterpart as Paul, remember, traces sexual perversion along with other sins as what happens when you do not submit and acknowledge God as God. And of course, that's at the heart of our account today. In both cases, both last week and this week, a Levite is a central character, which would seem to point the figure to part of their problem is their religious leaders are failing, which is often the case. They had certainly the case of America, for instance, uh, that a lot of the, the spiritual moral decay that we see in the churches are because they're not being taught the word of God. And so that would only make sense. So it reminds us that your spiritual leaders, your elders, for instance, those who are teaching in the church, well, deserve and must have your prayers, that they do not succumb to this and end up like the Levites did. Um, they need the prayers. And uh, so he does that. So 
you offer that, and the men don't want that. But finally, the Levite, he doesn't want to be abused all that long, so he just throws his concubine to him, shuts the door. So unlike Lot, the angels don't come and save this one. And so they have their way with her all night long. She falls back to the threshold of the door and dies there. And in the morning, he opens the door, sees the land there and says, okay, get on the donkey, it's time to go. Then she realizes she's dead. Cuts her up into 12 pieces, sends her to all the 12 times of Israel and says, look what awful things have happened. And uh, so they come and they're going to go and the 12 tribes gather together the great army to kill all the uh, inhabitants of Gibeah, and it says rightly so. Uh, but Benjamin says, no, we're not with you. We're going to protect. There are people to give you the Benjamin, so we're not going to do that. They have uh, an army of 700 men who just who can sling a slingshot very, very accurately, left-handed, which makes make a regular right-handed man carry a shield with his right hand, with his left hand vulnerable. Anyway, the, the tribes start to go up one at a time fight against Benjamin, starting with Judah, they're defeated, they pray, they ask God, uh, they send the next one up, he's defeated, they're losing tens of thousands of men, finally they pray and, and, and get serious about this thing, and the Lord gives them victory, but again, it's just a, nobody really is seen as good in this account, so in wiping out Gibeah, they also turn around and wipe out all the males of Benjamin. Uh, you know, they go way overboard, and 600 escape into the wilderness. Well, then they said, well, we don't, you know, finally they said, maybe we've gone a little bit too far here. We don't want our business to, to, uh, to disappear. So we need to get 600 wives for these men, because we've killed everybody else. And so they come up with a plan in verse 20, chapter 21, where they said, did anybody not go up with us to fight against Benjamin? Turns out, a Jabesh, uh, Gilead, or something. Um, they said, well, they didn't do it, Jabesh, Gilead. <clears throat> so, they go in there, and they wipe them out, except for virgins who are married age. And there's 400 of them. They give those to the 600. And now we're 200 short. Now what are we going to do? So, they they go to Shiloh, and there's going to be a celebration there for some reason. And the custom was that the uh, virgins would come out and do sort of a dance. And so they say, when they come out, these 200 guys, Benjamites, you didn't have a wife yet. When they come out, you go grab you one. And when the men and brothers, come, fathers and brothers, come complain about this, tell them, look, we all promised that, that, that we would not give any of our daughters to the Benjamites why we're doing this. So, if they steal them from you, you haven't given it to them, so everything's okay. So it's just one awful account after another, and as we see throughout the book of Judges, who loses? It's the women lose, but the male leadership has completely situated so many ways, and so it really don't come out well. But that same Benjamin from uh, being annihilated completely. Okay, so there's kind of the, in a nutshell what goes on. 
considered in the same area that we uh, that our previous uh, story uh, did. So we would expect in some cases they now some lessons are similar anyway. The, this area seeks to stick out to illustrate all of Israel. But while the Bible doesn't really address this practice, uh, that is, I'm sorry, of uh, First of all, we have a man who has buried a concubine. A concubine would be basically a servant who is uh, also going to bear children for him. So he marries her. So she's kind of in between a servant and a, wife, a regular wife. And that's who she is. But you got to remember in these days, what the Bible doesn't necessarily comment on the practice one way or another, I would think. But in this day, the, the women would far out number of the men because of war and so for them to have some sort of support protection that's why you had one way or another multiple wives so she was a female servant primary function was to have children but you can imagine then how her situation is already less than ideal and then you've got this Levi who is a cold palace guy I, you know, I, I think you can infer that he was an abusive guy, at least emotionally. So again, we're, we're, we we kind of we all can think of examples of, of this where that happens even in our day. It always has happened, no doubt. It does. So she runs, I believe, to her father, and uh, this is the moral character of the Levite that is on trial here, not hers. And we see how easily he's sidetracked. And drinking and eating for days on end with no view of his duty, and she seems eager to avoid going back with him. So his sin of lack of control leads to bad judgment as you leave the evening, putting his family in harm's way. His worst mistake is to assume that fellow Israelites are going to treat him better than the Jebusites, which of course is not the case. But it should have been. Uh, but that's again what. The whole point here is the spiritual condition, right? That's kind of the whole point of the story. They were, in fact, just following the spiritual example of behavior. And so we know, of course, that as the prophets tell us later, that if God had not kept a remnant, he would have become his son of the which, which is, or it means different. In other words, that wasn't just a saying. There, there was, in their history, in the book of Judges, it actually took place, right? They have become in Sodom and Gomorrah, and if God doesn't keep us, in fact, it goes very well with our Sunday morning message, if God doesn't reach down and change our hearts, we all would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the, it, it was, that's the point of the Bible. So, anyway. So, There's an obvious connection here that the writer has in uh, making this look like God. Anyone who reads the account should be shocked with the depth that Israel has come to. They have, they have become as people that they have displayed, at least in the book. And certainly this, the writer of this book knows how to tell a story. You can imagine what will be grabbed at the threshold of dying breath at this bed. Sleeps inside, seemingly unmarried, uh, throwing her to the wolves, saying so those kids, stepping over her, telling her to saddle the donkey this morning. But of course, the aftermath is no less astounding. 
All of a sudden, he's filled with righteous indignation as he cuts her to 12 pieces and sends her to 12 tribes of Israel. But we notice here that as he explains to, to Israel as they gather together why this, why he did this and what happened, he does not relate to, to, as it actually happened in chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. I and my concubines in the night. The leaders of, the, of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubines. She is dead. Well, that couldn't have been a more uh, a greater spin on a story. Uh, that just made him look good, and it is it, and of course, uh, does not become what happened at all. Um, in fact, over to Isaiah 9, 9, an interesting verse. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gideon. So here, Hosea refers to this account. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel, where they have, there they have continued, shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah. So he's comparing Israel in, the, in those days as if Israel gets ready to fall. This is why, because these sins are something that has continued on, certainly were prevalent in Hosea's day. So, in, in his concern for the accepted convictions of hospitality, the old man who let the Levite uh, his concubine and servant stay with him, he's willing to shatter a code. Again, I'm quoting here a, a, a commentator. I thought something good to say. In his concern for the accepted conventions of hospitality, the old man was willing to shatter a code which to the modern reader appears of infinitely more importance, namely the care and protection of the weak and helpless. In other words, as awful as what these men of Gibeon were wanting to do, and we certainly see in, in these men's reactions, this place, but you see that they would consider handing their wives and daughters over this sin to be raped as better than homosexual activity, which I think is telling. It's, it's obviously completely messed up, but it shows what the Bible thinks of these particular things, right? I think of how they understood uh, that particular sin, but anyway. Right, though, as modern readers, it's, we're thinking, oh man, what these men want to do is awful. And then we see that they threw uh, this other woman out and were offering up their daughter to be all of a sudden saying, well, that's worse. And is that not worse? And yes, it is worse. And you see again the, the corrupt thinking of this. Uh, that we're not, we're not willing to sacrifice ourselves for uh, the weak and those that have been given to us to protect, we will sacrifice them instead of ourselves. So again, the whole point of being, they demonstrate to us very clearly. The Levites, um, challenge regards to the one that the love or, uh, you know, had certain greater concern for those again, I think it's the most complete So he takes the company by force and busts her out to the bed. And again, I think that's why it's pretty obvious. He would be why he left him. 
woman uh, is put on a donkey, uh, which uh, is interesting to think about. In the beginning of Judges chapter 1, there's a woman on a donkey, um, an extra, who was a good, godly woman who provides blessings for her family. Uh, she remembers she was the daughter of um, Caleb, and uh, here you got at the close of the book of Judges, you've got another woman on a donkey who's dead, nameless, without a voice, uh, being murdered, and you see again the, the structure of Judges that, that starts off so promising, but the people talking as well. And why? Well, because all everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. But people don't. So, much like in the first account, just about everybody involved is doing something wrong. The Levite, the father-in-law, the men of Gibeah, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, even the overzealous rest of the nation uh, just go way too far in trying to discipline, you might say, Benjamin and Gibeah and so forth, and end up creating uh, more sin than a public situation. So, in verse, uh, chapter 20, Israel was created to reflect the glory of God, to glorify Him with their actions. So what we seek to have here is a country walking around with the Lord's name outwardly and playing the part by offering sacrifices, but in fact, they're really not worshiping God at all. And that's kind of the point. And one application here is not just to point out how awful things were, but to look at this and say, is it possible for us to outwardly be look like we're making uh, we're playing the part, working the job, good Christian, but we uh, aren't really living up to that. If, if you think about how these uh, Israel have been incapable of fighting their outward enemies, but they seem to have taken up, they're very willing to fight each other. And, uh, you know, but they're, they're not unwilling, they're, they're very unwilling to fight the Canaanites like they want to. And I thought, well, what a look at, at, at what can happen in a church. We can, we, we can fight each other, we can be so full of pride, and we're, we're always fighting each other, but we don't seem to be able to fight sin because we're not able to take care of sin in our own life, in our, in our own, uh, heart. We have trouble fighting sin outwardly. It's almost like a little, How we can be, how the church can be. In fact, some have, some of the commentators spent a lot of time talking about church discipline as an example of church discipline. I'm hesitant to do that. I think there's some application, but, uh, I think you need to, probably need to look at our hearts a little bit more. We need to be worried about that. But, uh, I was reading about, uh, in World War II, in the, uh, as the American forces were in, uh, Europe, that the Germans got several thousand German soldiers English very well, dressed up as Americans, and sent them into behind enemy lines to just masquerade as American soldiers and just drive around kind of under the radar and um, find out what's going on, report back. And eventually they, they figured out what was going on, and so they would start asking uh, people that they didn't know, that supposed American soldiers, questions about back home, that if you really weren't raised in America and lived there, you really wouldn't be able to answer. 
And like one was, they would talk about something that happened in a baseball game, World Series, something that happened in Houston that the guy supposedly had seen. And then he said, well, have you ever been to Texas? And the guy would say, well, no. Well, they don't. He didn't know what he was talking about, right? Something like that. But they would use that as an example of, of what, what we see here as people who look outwardly good, moral people, yet inwardly they're not. There's something wrong here. There's an idolatry in the heart. And that's kind of what we're seeing here, the heart of the people of Israel. And so the application of one is not just about looking at them, but it's just me. Do I come to church and put on a front that everything good I love the Lord, but inside I'm bitter, mean-spirited, divisive, I hold little regard to the Bible, um, you know, and I, I never put any effort into what the Bible says that it might change me. And it's not difficult for a church to follow to those kind of patterns. When I say church, I don't necessarily mean collectively, but people in church. And no church collectively votes Look at each other and say, okay, 
We're not blessed necessarily, but we're going to be spending eternity with one another. This is the real eternal relationship. Family relationship into death. I think Christ made that pretty clear, right? So while they are extremely important and there's great duty now, it can never exceed real eternal relationships that we have in Christ. If we celebrate the Lord's table later on, we are celebrated that we are all one family. We all share the blood of Christ. And that's the blood we better be concerned about. This is the failure here, the fitness. Even though the eleven tribes didn't want to do the right thing, they suffered greatly at first for effort. The Lord doesn't just hand it to them, they just struggle. Uh, as it's one of this process. But, uh, notice here in verse, chapter 20, verse 18, they go from praying and weeping after the first loss to praying, weeping, and fasting, and making sacrifices. Well, they go from praying to praying and weeping to praying, weeping, and making sacrifices and fasting. And someone suggested, I think there's a, maybe, there's an opportunity to group to that, that some are going to take a lot more effort before the Lord gives victory. It's going to take a lot of praying. It's going to, um, you're not just going to say, Lord, I need help here. You're going to give victory. Sometimes it's going to take a long time to take a long time. You're going to have to give victory. You're not making life like this before the Lord gives victory. I have an example, uh, and you make, make it up what you want to, uh, just a little but in my first church, we had an older couple of around 70. And, you know, she came from a family that tended to be a little rough and hard, and and, and, and her husband was just a nice, sweet man. But they were, you know, it, members of the church, they were, I think they were godly Christians, you know, and all that. But one day, he just up to leave, get to the apartment, leave, I, I get it. And we're often thinking, Kind of understood it, but of course it wasn't right. It wasn't the right way to deal with it. He never tried to work out the other way, and he just left. And we talked to him. We dealt with him. I remember, you know, this really broke his wife. So it wasn't the biggest of the I remember her one day. I was over to talk to her, and her head, her head was literally in my lap. She just you can imagine. And it was put on for about a year, and, and he didn't come to church. And I honestly believe, recently died, but, so I, I honestly suspect that he was kind of working on And, at the, uh, about a year took place, and I said, you know, look, we, we need to get serious. And let's start praying, and let's start having a day of fasting, let's, let's, let's baptize, put it in. And so we had a day of fasting and prayer. And I think within like a week, he was back, and, you know, and I, and he never even, Called me or anybody, he just all of a sudden the Lord brought him to talk to back together and back together so that he could not know. So, you know, I always thought, well, you know, sometimes it reminded me that sometimes we better make sure that we're, we're demonstrating the Lord and we're serious about this and we're not just saying, well, if I pray about it, the Lord will take care of it. And we just speak we, we just speak the Lord's casual. So Jesus said, right? There is just something that if you got to demonstrate to the church, you're going to 
2021, as we come to the aftermath of the Civil War, we are reminded that the bigger lesson is the lack of spiritual life and strength. And so, in uh, chapter chapter 20, verse 48, it says that the men of Israel turned back against the people of Israel and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city, the men, the beasts, and all that they found, all the towns that they found, they set on fire. So they wiped out a lot of innocent people. They they were in such so enraged. Probably a lot of it was because they had lost tens of thousands of men fighting the Benjamites to start with. And they start taking it out on the animals. They're burning the cities, they're killing men, women, and children, evidently, so that there's not, you know, there wasn't anybody left with 600 men. Very so guided by their passion that they told they they overkill. And one application maybe to turn this point is that very thing. When when someone falls, when someone sins, our goal is to be restored. To do what is ever necessary to restore them if they're Christians. And if they're not Christians, discipline will show that as well, right? But that's our goal. And we don't, our goal, and it's not, not just church discipline, but if you have to approach somebody, if they're doing something, they look like they can't let them go any further. The goal is to bring them life to restore them to they should be. It is not to judge them, to belittle them, to hurt them, to drive them away. And a lot of times, that's what happens when there's these church discipline. Although, seldom with church discipline. So that gets done so little that I would say that really has any effect on a lot of things. But in, in confrontation, it's always to be done in love, with that in mind. And you just see the exact opposite here. They're so enraged that they almost annihilate a whole tribe. So they have these two plans. But, um, there's no way, when you, when you, at the end of the day, when you see what's going on here, these little, these little attempts to let us go, there's no way this nation is going to survive unless God intervenes. And is that not in one sense the whole story of the Bible? Man is ruined, he is unable to help himself, there's nothing that he can do unless God comes down to us. And it's not just that God sent Jesus to die on the cross, hoping that that is going to draw men to him. No. If God doesn't reach into my heart to take away that stony, rebellious, idolatrous heart and give me life and life of ruin. And we see this over and over again in the um, let me read to you Psalm 78 starting verse 70 he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold from following the nurse's news he brought him shepherd Jacob his people Israel his inheritance with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hands there is God intervening Here's the people who are leaderless, the leaders that the corrupted they are. 
And so what does God do? He sends them a shepherd. He sends them David, who is just really a type of the true shepherd, right? The great shepherd. If God uh, did not keep for himself a remnant, he always they need a prophet, they need light, they need a king, they need leadership, they need a Messiah that is the Savior. Judge demonstrates really what the whole Bible does. And I certainly don't want my life and I don't want this church to end up like this, right? I mean, we might as well would never end up like that. But let me, let me just leave you with, with one application. Here. We, it's so easy to look at this like what this Levi did with his funky mind with this old man who's willing to his daughter and say, Well, that's just awful. And I would never put my daughter in his harm's way like that. Well, if we give our children to the public school and television without carefully encountering the word of God, if we let them dress like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, are we not going to the world? You know, they, they grow up and they're atheists and skeptics and they say, well, that's the world. Well, they, I mean, that didn't help anything. But at the same time, if you search your responsibility, that, oh, I would never let their body but I don't care if their souls are corrupt. I don't care what who teaches them whatever they're being taught. Who influences them. I don't care what they listen to, what they're feeding themselves with. Haven't you done isn't that not just as bad on one level? What that Levi did with that old man was going to do. In other words, let's be careful that we don't you know, I would never do that, but we never stop the in 
and some have suggested that this is also pro-David for the pursuit because they're showing the, how awful the living song was and what they did. So without the Bible and the Spirit, we're kind of left to any choosing morality. What is right and wrong becomes random and arbitrary, as we see here, because if you don't have an objective truth, then you're left your own devices and what what is happening today, right? So now you've got uh pedophilia is lost. There's a TV commercial right now from Pennsylvania about how you got no happy children. And yet, we murdered babies in the womb. Yeah. Well, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, they're both wrong. But when you have rejected God, you have no life. Alright, let's stop there. Any questions on the thing before we tie together words for the difficult passages that Lord reminds us why pain Thank you.